Ready tonight? Oh, marvelous. <clears throat> Excited about getting to jump back into Isaiah. So let's look at Isaiah 9. If you remember, we just kind of wrapped up the Emmanuel discourse uh, from Isaiah, which started back in chapter 7, concluded in uh, 9-7, which kind of lays out a lot of uh, the prophetic message of the coming hope, which is Messiah. So when we do Isaiah, please hold on to the overall view, right? How does that Israel become this one? How do we get from who we are to who we ought to be? And the answer is Messiah. So everywhere we're going we're gonna to have a few chapters that deal with judgment and God's, um, God's judgment or condemnation on his people. In other words, saying, hey, here's what you're doing wrong. Here's what's wrong in that Israel. It shouldn't be like that. How do I get from there to here? Then he's going to give us another chapter or two on Messiah. Messiah is the one who gets us there. Because it's Jesus Christ who transforms us from the inside out, right? So all the way through Isaiah, that's, that's just going to be the overarching context as we work our way through. And we'll get to see some of the Lord's deliverance as we look at it. Now tonight, <clears throat> Isaiah is going to be talking to northern kingdom and um, by proxy to the southern kingdom. And he wants them to know that the standard by which we are measured is God's standard. We sometimes struggle with that idea. We often want to measure ourselves or judge ourselves by our neighbor's standard, right? You know, if I look at my yard, and my yard is okay, as long as it's anywhere close to looking as good as Rusty's yard. If it's not as good looking as Rusty's yard, I got some work I got to do, right? Because uh, that's my neighbor. It's got to it's gotta look like my neighbor. Sometimes we do that with our lives. We say, well, my life needs to look like that. Or we say, my life is better than that. And so I'm okay. And so Isaiah, talking to the northern kingdom, they're kind of in a, in a place, which is kind of interesting how we're here in historically where we are with our nation. Because Isaiah is dealing with a lot of national pride with Israel. Israel's full of national pride. Hey, 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 we always find a way to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And no matter how far down you knock us, we're going to get back up. And this is just kind of some of the, uh, of, of the discussion in the heart behind the northern kingdom. They're filled with a national pride. And that pride comes out in at least three ways. It comes out with leaders who mislead. In other words, leaders who are taking them where they don't want to go. It comes out in the loss of brotherhood. You end up with brother versus brother. And the last thing is it, it comes out in the oppression of the helpless. So all these three become the signposts of uh, pride, that uh, God's judgment of pride over <clears throat> the nation of Israel. So look at verse 8 in chapter 9. He starts off and says, The Lord has sent a word against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel. So this is a way for God to demonstrate that the message is for both north and south. Anytime we talk about Jacob, we oftentimes when the prophets will talk about Jacob, we all know Jacob had two names, right? Jacob and Israel. That he was a supplanter, a deceiver, 
you know, he had a hard time walking the walk. But when he was submitted to God, he was Israel, right? So just like all of us, we have, we have a battle within us, right? The old ways and the ways of Christ. And learning to walk in the ways of Christ is the great challenge for us. So when God says, I, I got a word that's for Jacob, that covers everything. And then he says, it's going to fall on Israel. So the judgment is coming through Israel, North Kingdom, 10 tribes, South Kingdom, 2. It's going to hit the North Kingdom first, and then it's going to come down to the South. So the South will see God's ability to deliver, because they're going to step out in repentance. And the North is going to continue to walk in pride and find themselves up against uh, 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 an enemy they can't uh, just overcome by sheer power of their will it says and all the people will know ephraim and the inhabitants of samaria who say in pride and in arrogance of heart the bricks have fallen but we will build with dress stones the sycamores have been cut down but we will put cedars in their place so here's the attitude right that yeah hey we're we're we are the we are the masters of our own destiny. And so if something falls down, all I need to do is have enough um, positive, what's the, I want to say willpower, but that's not the word I'm looking for. But uh, perception, that's what. I, if I have enough positive perception, I can change reality. Does that work? Really? It, it gets us to buy a guy's books that have big smiles. You know why they have big smiles? Because we buy their books, and they're driving around in paid-for sports cars and houses, and they're smiling all the way to the bank because they have this concept. If you change your perception, you can change reality. Really? So if I got an apple pie at home, and I decide I'm going to change my perception, I'm going to see a cherry pie that's going to become a cherry pie? We should buy that book because we could figure out how to change that. If I'm stuck with hot dogs at night, I could change my perception and make them tacos. Right? <laughs> we, there's always a way, right? But the, the point is here for the northern kingdom, look, they're saying, hey, they, they come and they conquer us, but you know what? We always come back. We always, it's, and it's very similar to what we heard a guy named Nebuchadnezzar talk about in Babylon. You guys remember Nebuchadnezzar? So Nebuchadnezzar looked at this incredible kingdom, right? And he walks around it and he says, look at this kingdom that I have built. And God sends him a dream. And he doesn't understand the dream, so he asks Daniel to interpret it. And Daniel says, well, here's what the Lord says. You're full of pride. And if you don't understand that everything you have is a result of what God's given you, then God's going to prove it to you. So, O king, live forever. Be humble. And one day he's walking out on his porch, right? Wow, look at all the stuff I've done. And so for seven seasons he went crazy. Ate grass, grew out his hair, says his hair became like feathers. I don't know what that means, but something his fingers fingernails became like claws i assume that means he didn't cut them 
seven years wandered around like a crazy man and stayed king. At the end of seven years, his mind returned to him, and the first thing he said is, you know what, Daniel? You're right. I didn't do this. God did. He showed me because I was crazy for the last seven seasons, and I'm still here. There's no reason that should be. So here you have the northern kingdom dealing with the same thing. Hey, look what we can do. We're able. We, we can accomplish all these things. Here's the one thing that Genesis chapters 1 through 10 teach us. One, man is fallen. Two, man is corrupt. Three, man is rebellious. The, the fall in Eden, the corruption in Genesis 6 of the angels, and the rebellion of Nimrod in chapter 10, which culminates... In God's disinheriting the, the mankind. And then choosing rather than all the nations to take one man and build a nation from him to be a light to the rest of the nation. So we see this attitude happening. But now the problem is this attitude's happening in God's people. The ones who are supposed to know, right? The ones who are supposed to be <clears throat> the light. He says, uh, but the Lord raises the adversaries of resin against him and stirs up his enemies. The Syrians on the east, the Philistines on the west, devour Israel with an open mouth. For all this, his anger was not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. So what Isaiah, Isaiah is speaking, now these things haven't happened yet at the time when this prophecy is given. But he speaks about them as being so certain, he uses a past tense. In Hebrew, it's a perfect tense, which is what we would call today the past. The idea that it's this is so certain, I'm going to say it's already happened. So what happens is Israel, who thinks they've got it all worked out, and Israel is going to come conquer Judah, brother against brother. We'll see that in a minute. Israel's going to come conquer Judah, and they're going to do it with Assyria and some of these other people. Well, all those other guys that they thought were going to be with them were against them, and they conquer them. They're going to take the northern kingdom. <clears throat> so, but it says that the Lord, as the Lord is going to raise this up. It's God's hand that is using these other kingdoms to come against Israel. Now, please don't lose sight of this. All those other kingdoms are still responsible for what they do. God just lets them do it. God's not making a decree so that their choices are determined, God is saying to them, hey, I'm going to let you go. But everybody, every, every treacherous thing you do in judging my people, I'm going to hold you accountable for. It's still wrong to murder. It's still wrong to do all the things it was wrong to do before. None of that changed. But God is saying, you're not, you won't turn to me you won't come to me. You don't care. You're unfaithful to me. So I'm not going to... I take my hand off. Sometimes that's how we learn we have been protected. No? God lifts his hand. And if God lifts his hand, <clears throat> then we see that that protection vanishes away. Now look at verse 13. So the people did not turn back to him who struck them, nor inquire of the Lord of hosts. So the idea is, there's no initial response to the judgment. The judgment comes, but the people don't seek God for the diagnosis and the cure. They don't, they don't come to the Lord and say, well, what, what, what do we need to do? 
What do I need to do? We're, 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 we're in a place where we are not seeing the blessings of God. What's happening? I'm turning to the Lord and see, God, what do you have for me? In Amos, who is another prophet about the same time period, talking to Israel, in Amos chapter 4, verse 6 through 11, he says this, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, but you didn't return to me, says the Lord. So there's famine. Now, just so you know, way back in the beginning when God called Abraham and set aside his nation, listen to what he told them. Hey, if you guys are getting disobedient, I'll do you a favor. You'll know because I'll stop sending the rain and I'll bring famine. And that'll be a sign. And all you need to do is say, oh, wait a minute, something's wrong and seek me and we'll, we'll work it out. We'll get it worked out, straightened out, and I'll give you the early and the latter rains. So when it happens and they don't turn and they just say, hey, we got this figured out. We don't need to look to God. We'll just, we just work out trade. Well, we don't have any food, so we'll trade what we do have. What do we have? Well, we got stones. So we'll quarry stones and sell them to this, uh, the Philistines and they'll give us bread. So making their own way. The Lord says, you didn't turn to me. In verse 7, I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months until the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another. One field had rain and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you didn't return to me. So in verse 9, declares the Lord, I struck you with blight and mildew, your, your gardens, your vineyards, your fig trees, your olive trees, the locusts devoured, but you didn't turn to me. Verse 10, I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I, I killed your young men with the sword, carried away your horses, made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils, yet you did not return to me. Verse 11, I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me. All of these are different things that happen in the life of Israel that Israel would respond to in their pride. Oh, this is not God calling us back to him. This is an opportunity to prove that God helps those who, right? So that we just need to figure it out. We just need to solve it ourselves. We just need to make it all work. Well, back in Isaiah 9, here's what the problem is. It says the problem of their pride is they have leaders who lead them in the places they shouldn't go. Leaders who mislead. It says in verse 15, the elder and honored man is the head, the prophet. Oh, I'm sorry, look at verse 14. So the Lord cut off uh, from Israel the head... And the tail, the palm branch, and the reed in one day. The elder and honored man is the head. The prophet who teaches lies in the tail. For those who guide this people have been leading them astray. And those who are guided by them are swallowed up. So the Lord is saying, look, the head, tail, palm branch, and reed. This is the, the picture of the leadership from high to low. The whole scope of leadership from the top to the bottom. God is saying, you guys are going the wrong way. And, and one of the sad things 
is they're going one way, or they're going the wrong way, under the leadership of the prophets who are supposed to tell them what God's Word says. But you know, you're not a very popular prophet if you do that. You're a more popular prophet if you tell people what they want to hear. No. You're a more popular politician if you do that. If you tell people what they need to hear, that's not very popular. Yeah? Just think back to the Civil War. Think back to the issues that were necessary for our nation to heal coming out of uh, slavery. And there were things that needed to happen in our nation. Politicians weren't very popular if they did what was necessary. They were popular if they said what everybody wanted to hear. But sometimes if you said what everybody wanted to hear, you led them down a road that led to destruction. No? And so the same thing is happening here. They're being led to destruction. And the scripture says it's going to happen in one day. Which means it's going to be abrupt. It's going to be sudden. There's not going to be any chance to prepare. You're going to be thinking everything's cool. And then the next day, bam, you find yourself in a world of trouble. But the good news is, and Isaiah is pretty good about bringing these ideas out, the same God who is able to judge in a day, abruptly, suddenly, out of nowhere, is able to save in a day the same way. In Zechariah 3.9, it says, For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land, what's he say? In a single day. So in a single day you can be judged. And in a single day you can be restored. In a single day you can be guilty. And in a single day you can be cleansed. Right? So this is the point that, that scripture is laying out for us. That he wants us to be able to glean from and understand. The leaders are taking you this way. Judgment's going to come. But the same way the judgment can come like that. So can redemption. So can salvation. So look at verse 17 of Isaiah 9. It says, Therefore, the Lord does not rejoice over their young man and has no compassion on the fatherless and the widow. For everyone is godless and an evildoer and every mouth speaks folly. For all this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is outstretched still. So it's a phrase we're seeing repeated, right? His anger is not turned away. His hand is outstretched still. Which means this judgment that's coming in the north, Judah is going to get to watch. You guys who have had more than one child, you've probably, oh, I don't know. For me, my middle son needed less. Well, he needed the same amount of discipline, but he needed it less because he was more sneaky than the older one. He learned from watching the older one. And he'd say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say this. I'm not going to... He, he would watch how those things happen, right? And he would adjust his behavior so those things didn't happen to him. Now, he still had his own issues. But <clears throat> we see that happening. The same thing's happening with these nations. Judah's watching Israel go through all this in their rebellion against God. And so God is saying, look, that same... Judgment is coming down through Israel to Judah. So if you don't learn, it's coming through you just like it went through them. 
So the, and the call of God is not a call that is demanding something extraordinary from them at all. It's a call that says, repent. The road you're walking leads to a fight with Assyria, the Philistia, uh, uh, and Syria, and you're going to get in this fight with all, and they're going to wipe you out. Or you can change your direction. The road you're walking on leads there. If God's sitting outside, can he see it all? So he's saying to them, change your direction. What's the word for change your direction? Repent. Repent. Stop. The choices you're making lead here. That's where they go. So he's saying, hey, the Lord's, the judgment's still coming down. Judah, if you don't learn. Now, these events haven't even happened to the north yet. But the message from Isaiah is they're going to come. The same enemies are going to come to your door. Remember, Judah was afraid. Israel was going to get them. God says, no, they're not going to get you. Before a child, when this child's born, before he's old enough to know right from wrong, Israel's going to be gone. But the same thing that God Israel is going to get you if you don't repent. If you don't change the road you're on. If I'm driving 100 miles an hour down the road and the sign says bridge out, and I drive off where the bridge was, whose fault is that? So if God, looking at the road you're on, calls to you and says, Hey, the road you're on leads to a road. The bridge is out. You're going off a cliff. You're going to perish. Why would you not listen? Well, because I'm full of pride. I'm rebellious and I'm corrupt. And to be honest, I want to do what I want to do and I don't care what it costs. Haven't we all made choices like that in our lives? At some point or another, we come to a crossroad and we say, I don't care what the price is for this, I'm going. This is what I want to do. We close our door, we click our heels, and we walk off in our rebellion. So the Lord says, his anger has not turned away. Is God still angry about sin? What about today? Still angry about sin or he he got over it? Now he's not mad about sin no more? So his anger is still there. His wrath is still there. But his hand is outstretched. What's that mean? So you've got the, the wrath of God going forth, right? Which is the result of sin. The Lord said the wages of sin is? How often? Okay, so he's saying, look, you're, you're walking in this sin. The road you're on is leading to your destruction. You need to repent. And so his anger is still there. He's still seeing uh, his anger has not turned away. And his hand is stretched out still. All day long, the Lord said, I reach out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. All day long. Those same hands that can bring discipline and correction can also bring redemption and salvation. All you got to do is reach out. All that's all that that is being expected. Every parent disciplines a child looking for correction if they're disciplining in God's way. And when correction occurs, discipline has accomplished its goal. It did not change love, did it? 
did not change the reason for which you brought that discipline. God's word says if you love your children, you do what? You discipline them. God loves us. What's he do? Disciplines. He doesn't let you run down the road of destruction without putting a sign saying bridge is out. The bridge is out. Pay attention. The bridge is out. So we see here they have uh, leaders who mislead. They don't return to the Lord. They don't turn to God. They turn to anything else. Then in verse 18, we see this pride leads to loss of brotherhood. Brother against brother. Look. For wickedness burns like a fire, it consumes briars and thorns, kindles the thickets of the forest, and they roll upward in a column of smoke. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is scorched, and the people are like fuel for the fire. No one spares another. He talks about two fires. One, the consuming fire of sin. Right, And within the fire of sin, it contains within itself the seed of its own destruction. The wages of sin is, right? So, so if I sin, within my sin is the seed of my own destruction. I stay in that sin, destruction is what is going to come forth. At the same time, you have the fires of sin burning. You also have the wrath of God described, again, as a consuming fire. The fire of God's wrath. So he says, between these two fires, the fire of your sin and the fire of the wrath of God, what happens is brother turns against brother. All of a sudden, it is every man for himself. Now, see it all the time, or often enough. So they have this attitude. You you have already the north The northern kingdom, in the last 30 years, so they haven't been conquered yet, in the last 30 years, from the time of Jeroboam II, when he dies, there is 30 years of a bloody coup, as one brother kills another brother, kills another brother to try to take over. Brother killing brother, killing brother, killing brother. All the while, while the people's pride is under judgment from God, The fire of their own sin is burning, the seed of their destruction in their own uh, decisions and choices, and simultaneously the wrath of God. God don't stop it. He lets it go. He lets them go. He lets them make their choices, do the things that they're going to do. Look what he says in verse 20. They slice meat on the right, but are still hungry. They devour on the left, but are not satisfied. No matter what they do, they can't meet the need. Each devours the flesh of what? His own arm. Your, the skeleton of the feast is you. So in their sin, in their rebellion, in their corruption against God, what you see is because the vertical relationship is broken, vertically between man and God, man's relationship with his neighbor is broken. So... How do I know, the Bible says we're supposed to love our neighbor. How do I know I'm not supposed to eat him? But when you get into any one of the sieges of Jerusalem, of Israel, uh, what did man do to man? What did women do to their children? What did people do? The scripture talks about the king walking through the streets weeping as he watched what the people were doing to one another. 
And then we sit back and we go, man, how could, how could God do such a thing? Man, slow down a little bit. The seed of your own destruction was in your sin. And God said, bridge is out. Stop. Turn around. Change your direction. You don't have to go this way. He gave warnings. With the warnings, right? Remember, no rain, famine? Well, let me put it to you like this. He gave warnings. You're headed down the road. All of a sudden, the, the paved road become a dirt road. Then the dirt road became full of potholes. And man curses God for the potholes. Oh, so stupid. Why are there potholes out here? Whatever you do, don't slow down or stop. Just mash the pedal. Keep going. Because the seeds of your destruction is in the choices you make. And when you Thelma and Louise off of where the bridge is supposed to be, you don't got nobody to blame. Because God told you it was like that. All you had to do was stop and turn around. That's not overly complicated. That's not, that's not difficult to comprehend. It says Manasseh devours Ephraim and Ephraim devours Manasseh. You remember who those two guys are? Brothers, right? Brother against brother. Joseph's kids. Ephraim and Manasseh. And they're the two largest tribes in the northern kingdom. So what happens when all this stuff starts to go down? The two largest tribes, they, they're going to turn against each other. Brother against brother. But we still do that. Look, if you go to a, a Trump rally or you go to a Antifa meeting or you want to really mess with your noodle, go to Planned Parenthood in Scottsdale, Arizona. <clears throat> and all you'll see is people on two different sides of the streets hating their brother. Abject hatred. And if you go there, you'll find yourself get caught up in it too. Because where's man's pride lead? To leaders who mislead and brother against brother. Where's it going to end? Do we really think if we shoot all the people who think different than me, then that'll solve the problem? <laughs> Last I checked. That hasn't worked yet in like, what, 10,000 years of human history? Huh. Well, we could try it again. Or maybe we could respond how God is leading, right? Repentance, look to Him, look to the Lord. It says, Ephraim, and Man- Ephraim I'm sorry, Manasseh devours Ephraim, Ephraim devours Manasseh. Together they're against Judah. All three of those guys are brothers. All part of the same family. For all this, his anger has not turned away and his hand stretched out still. So God's still allowing it to roll. Still allowing the judgment to go. Still allowing it to move forward. All the while his hand is out. Come home. Just come home. Now, I don't need that. I don't need God. We will save ourselves. 1933, Humanist Manifesto. That was the declaration. God is dead. We must save ourselves. And so far, we've been doing a bang-up job. Really, good job. We're going to save ourselves. (laughs) You know, I I lost track of the latest number of abortions, but let's call it 60 million dead 
that's, by the way, more than pretty much every war we've ever fought in the history of the United States all together. That's pretty wild, no? We're doing a bang-up job. We're going to save ourselves. The pride is leading to the destruction. So Ephraim and Manasseh find themselves in war with one another. Then in Isaiah 10, his first four verses are part of the same discourse. <clears throat> he says, Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression. So what's his next woe? So he said, okay, so here's the deal, guys. Your pride is leading you to destruction. Your pride is leading you to destruction. And that pride that is taking you to destruction is causing you to, to have leaders who mislead, to pin brother against brother, and lastly, to oppress the helpless. You start to take advantage of the poor you shall have with you always. Yeah, they're there just so your life can be easier, right? Not what what Scripture teaches? says, the writers who keep writing oppression, laws, sinful decrees, sinful laws, laws that are being laid out to turn, what, what, what do they describe as a sinful law? Verse 2, to turn aside the needy from justice. So denying justice to the needy, to rob the poor of my people of their right. So taking rights from the poor. So that, for what purpose? So widows can be their spoil and fatherless can be their prey. Well, welcome to every one in the Forbes 500, right? The eight-year-old who made the shoes I'm wearing right now, I probably don't even want to know about. He says... Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees. Writers who write laws of oppression. Making all of that legal. It's all okay. Well, it's legal. It doesn't matter. It's okay. We've passed laws to make it okay to do this and okay to do that. So it absolves us from what God's word says, right? Because if God's word says A and the laws of the land say B, we're supposed to obey the laws of the land. Right? Because the state is our God? Last I checked, it's not. God's still God. And it doesn't, just because you make it legal, don't make it right. The pride of a land and a rebellion against God, they get leaders that mislead, brother is against brother, and they oppress the poor. They oppress him. They use him. They utilize the poor. Well, it's simple, guys. You've got to work. You've got to pay rent and you've got to buy food, right? So if I can work out a way that you have to stay, that I can keep you in a certain place that requires you to work so many hours, so many days a week, just so that you can get by, and I can keep you in that place, I basically have legalized slavery, no? Because you can't get out. Well, what's the advice we give? Well, come on. It's the United States of America. If you went out, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. 
climb the ladder of success. Reach up to the next rung and push the guy next to you down. Get up. You can be at the top of this ladder too. All you got to do is be willing to do all the things I did to get here. Well, we can say that. But it doesn't absolve us of what the word of God says. Does it? What did Jesus say? Jesus said things that ought to put us on our ear. No? What did he tell us to do to our enemy? Huh. What did he tell us to do to hungry? Crazy, huh? What did he tell us to do to those who mourn? Oh my goodness. Oh, so you know. So the good news is you're only responsible for the things you know. You're not responsible for anything you don't. So saying that that's just not the way our culture is does not absolve us. Nor them. So we look and we say, are we oppressing? Are we oppressing the poor? Do we see brother against brother? Do we have leaders who mislead? I don't know how you look at this and say, oh yeah, no, that's just not like, we're not a mirror of this. Yeah, that's what the northern kingdom said. No, that's not us. It's somebody else. All the way till the enemies were parked at the gates. All the way to the to the moment, to the point when the end came. Look what he said in 10.3. What will you do on the day of punishment in the ruin that will come from afar? What are you going to do when you stand? What he's saying is, what are you going to do when you stand before the master? When the master returns to say to the steward, what have you been doing while I was gone? He's saying, what are you going to do in the time of punishment? In the ruin that will come from afar. Where are you going to flee for help? Where will you leave your wealth? Who got all that money? Who got all the stuff? You know what Solomon said? I'd be the wisest man on earth, but a fool's going to get all my money. Guess what happened? Yeah? His son had the whole kingdom broke in like a year. Didn't, it wasn't even hard work. Bloop. Oh, look at there. We went from, from first to worst. Yeah, that's all it takes. That's all it takes. To whom will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. For all this, his anger was not turned away and his hand is reached out still. The judgment comes, but God's hand is out. What's that mean? God's judgment comes against sin, but there's a way out of that. You don't have to stay in your rebellion. You don't have to stay in your corruption. You don't have to stay in your fallen state. You can, cho- you can choose to turn, repent, and come to the Lord. How will the master see his stewards when he returns from his absence? Listen to what it says in Matthew 24. Who then is that wise and faithful servant whom his master set over his household? For what purpose? Why did the master set a steward up? To give them their food at the proper time. Who's he talking about? 
all the other servants. Taking care of your brethren, your brother. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So the master returns and the servant's doing it. He's taking care. He's feeding his brother. He's taking care of of the people that there are around him. And so when the master returns, he says, Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Why? Because he's been faithful in a little. So now he'll place him over more. But if the wicked servant says to himself, you know, the master's not here and he's probably not coming. He begins to beat the fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards, wasting what God had left to him. The master of that servant will come on a day when he doesn't expect, kind of like in one day judgment can come, right? At an hour that he doesn't know. And you give your own interpretation to this. He will cut him in pieces and put him outside with the hypocrites in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. At best, that's not good. Huh? It's not hard to choose which steward do you want to be, is it? Look, all the things that Jesus taught about when he came And we read about it in the Gospels. They all have a foundation in the reality of the examples that happened in Israel. And we often can find ourselves looking back at Israel and saying, Man, how could they be so dumb while we sit here and do the same stuff? But the same hand, God's wrath is still against sin, right? But His hand is still out. Sin will still be judged, but you don't have to be. All you have to do is reach out for his hand. What did he say? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. You can slap the hand away. I've been places where it happens. I've been at deathbeds to share the gospel with with people for the last chance. Of families are desperate to have them make a choice for the Lord and be denied the opportunity to pray or speak or share with them at all. But just so you know, God's hand, when you stood before God on that one day, it was not God who slapped the hand away. Right? So all day long, He reaches out. Wealth, position, And power does not save us from our reckoning. Jesus Christ does. That's the same message of Isaiah. Hey, how's that Israel going to become this one? What are we going to do about them? They they don't repent. They don't. How are we going to do it? Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. Well, here's the good news. Messiah came. His name is Jesus Christ. And he has made a way where there was no way. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word, for what your word teaches, what your word lays out for us. God, I I pray that we be challenged, Lord. I pray that uh, we would be men and women who search our soul and say, wow, what, where am I in reality? What is going on? Am I, do I find myself like Israel pretending I'm okay while slapping away the hand calling me to repentance? And running headlong into the hand that delivers judgment. 
Wow, God, I pray that, uh, that we would learn the lesson. Your word declares that if a man would judge himself, he would not be judged. So, God, I pray, Lord, that we hear the message of Isaiah. Judgment's coming. That has never changed. That message is always out there. But the hand of salvation is outstretched still. To whosoever will. Lord, I pray that we not only hear that message and, and uh, respond to it, but we also take that message so others may respond as well. Lord, we seek your Spirit's guidance and blessing as we, as we approach your word, as we approach worship, and as we approach the mission field at, at the close of this service. God, be glorified as we go from this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.